In the words of my mouth, in the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, tell the truth. You must have, think that, must have thought, at least at one time or another, that Jesus had an incredibly easy childhood. Surely you thought at one time or another his mother knew that he was a son of God, and so she must have told everyone, you know, clear out of his way, make his, uh, make his life easy. Is that what you think? Perhaps you've not thought much about Jesus as a child. Maybe you haven't really stopped to consider what his days were like as a lad running around. But if you haven't, today's your chance, okay? So we're going to think just a moment about what it must have been like. If you, if you read or listened to the gospel closely today, you would have noticed that Mark says that Jesus had four brothers. Um, if you had taken their names in their Hebrew form, Jacob, Justice, Judas, and Simon. It also says that he had sisters, plural, so at least two sisters. So think about this, Jesus being the, um, the oldest of seven. Seven siblings and, uh, and Jesus. Five boys, two girls. You know the story of his miracle birth. And so what must his childhood have been like? I don't know about you, but here's my experience growing up. I was the middle of three boys. Okay, um, I wanted to make sure that um, I doubled this experience so made sure that we had four boys so that we could have two middle children. I didn't think that I should keep it all to myself. Uh, but when I was growing up, my experience was is that um, the people who had the easiest rows to hoe, so to speak, were the oldest and the youngest. Right? Is that what you kind of found? And you're maybe a lot of older children are like, no, no, not me at all. But when I was growing up, I even remember most of the time we lived in two or even if we were lucky, three bedroom homes growing up and, and apartments or something like If we had three bedrooms, here's the way the protocol for, for bedrooms worked. Um, either the youngest received his own bedroom or the oldest I mean, the youngest was the baby, and then the oldest was the oldest. He needs his privacy. Um, and it was never the middle kid. Nobody ever said, you know, Joe, I think you've been kind of a... Sh-. You, you see I'm working out some of my issues right here in front of you, right? Um, I'm 43 years old. I still have never had my own room, you know? But back to Jesus. Um, you must have thought somewhere along the way that he was treated rather well. You know, that, that he was, well, he was treated like a god, perhaps. But that would not fit with what Mark writes about in the gospel. I think Jesus lived just like, well, I think his growing up was just like any other kid in the neighborhood. I think he was just the very garden variety child, a, a kid who does things like everybody else. I think he probably broke Mr. Berkowitz's window or broke his gate, you know, accidentally let his donkey out, or at least was accused of doing it, you know. I mean, I think that his childhood was very much like everyone else. I think he played some sort of ball in the streets of Nazareth. I think he was very much just like everybody else. His life was very unremarkable. If you thought that people would stop by and knock on the door and say, Mary, Joseph, you know, we have relatives from up north and they came by. Do you think we can stop in and meet Jesus? Um, uh, perhaps get an autograph? If that's what you think, you're wrong. It did not happen like that. 
He was just like every other kid. Very uninteresting, perhaps, to some people. A very normal, ordinary child. And so he grew up in a world where he was just like everybody else. And as an adult, one Saturday, perhaps it was Friday night, but probably Saturday back in those days because there was you know, no, no uh, artificial light. So on a Saturday morning, he gets up and he goes to the local synagogue, just like everybody else did in his neighborhood. And, and he got up and, and families probably walked together and they, they went down to the synagogue and it was just kind of like you going to church this morning. Got up, ate some breakfast, gathered the family, and head out. Everybody else did the same. And the synagogue was sort of like a church. Um, not exactly, but sort of like that. One of the big differences in the synagogues of Jesus' day is there were no professional clergy. You didn't have a rabbi who was sort of resident at the, at the local synagogue. There was, they were all lay-led. Lay people structured everything. There might have been a a synagogue patron, a wealthy person who sort of, you know, kind of paid a lot of the bills or helped out a lot. But by and large, they were lay-led um, organizations. Lay people uh, sang the songs and, and picked out the music and, and lay people read the lessons. And one lay person was asked to read the lessons and to give a small talk, a, a devotion, a, you know, a sort of homily of sorts on the lesson of the day. And that's where we pick up in Mark's Gospel. In Mark chapter 6, the second verse, it says this, On the Sabbath, Jesus began began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates it. On the Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea this guy was this good, they said. How did he get this wisdom all of a sudden? Get such ability. I'm guessing that it was really a great sermon that day, aren't you? I mean, I'm sure that he really brought it. You know, some people might have been saying something like, Wow, fella, you should take this show on the road. I mean, that's a really good sermon, you know. Probably, you know, some real good uh, emotional kind of pathos in there. You know, peppered with just the right amount of humor. A, a A really good sermon Jesus brings. And people are saying, Wow, you know, isn't this the kid that grew up in the neighborhood? I mean... What happened to him, all of us? Where did this come from? And I think that's when Berkowitz speaks up and says something like, isn't this a kid that broke my gate and let my donkey out back about 20 years ago, you know? You know that guy, he's always there. Not here, he's always somewhere else. But he was, you know, in the, in the crowd that day. I thought that was funny. Uh, anyway, he, he probably leans over and whispers something to his neighbor. And she leans back and says, And have you heard the story of how he was born? Have you heard how his mother got pregnant before they were married? That it was a miracle pregnancy? Have you heard that story before? And the whisper campaign begins right there in a synagogue. Jesus has just finished preaching and the whisper campaign is going on. You know, whenever somebody does something great... Even something good. There's someone right there to take the polish off that halo, aren't they? I mean, they are ready. They are ready to pounce. And that's the problem with Jesus. He's so familiar. They've seen all this before. He he can't be anything other... He has done nothing to make anyone in his neighborhood up to this point think there's anything special about him. 
Mark seems to tell us that it is Jesus' humanity which makes people unable to see his divinity. It's his humanity. It's his, his matter-of-factness, his very real kind of tangibility that is such a problem. Take your bulletin, will you, and look at, at page 8 where the gospel lesson is. Page 8 in the bulletin. In Mark chapter 6, the, the lesson today, in the second verse, uh, I just read that a moment ago, on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. You see this? And many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? And what is this wisdom that's been given to him? And what deeds of power are being done by his hands? Now look at this third verse, will you? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And if you had a pen, I would tell you to underline this next little sentence. And they took offense at him. Mark's word for offense is scandalizo. It's where we get scandalized or scandal. They were scandalized by him. He was a scandal. They were deeply offended, one translation. You know what happens when people are deeply offended, don't you? You hear the words like, well, I never. And the, my word, I, uh, talk to the hand. I'm just, uh, you know, you, I don't want to hear anything else from you. And they snubbed Jesus. We, we want nothing more to do with this fellow. And Mark says, and no miracles happened there. Well, of course no miracles happened there. It wasn't because their lack of faith that, that Jesus was like hindered in His power. Nobody came to Him. Nobody sought Him out. Nobody wanted healing from Him. Nobody wanted a word of wisdom from Him. Nobody wanted Him to do anything miraculous in their life. But there were others. There were others who began to follow Jesus. They began to, to get close around Him. They were called His disciples. And notice, in the second half of this story, Jesus tells these others, Go out. Go out into the highways. the by- Don't take nothing but a staff. You don't need a bag. You don't need food. You don't need money belt. You don't need anything. You just go out and do miraculous things. Go find people who are hurting and bring healing. Go find people who are sick. Go find people who are demon-possessed. And what do the people who follow Him do? They go out and do exactly what Jesus said. And real miracles, real, uh, I want to say come to Jesus miracles, real bona fide miracles take place. People are healed. Demon-possessed are set free. Good things happen. And look, got your bulletin open still? Verse 12, way down at the end. So they went out... And proclaimed, they went out and preached that all should repent. Now I've got to be honest with you, this word repent is a little, I don't really, I want to say I don't like it, but that's not true. I do like it. It's a good word. It's a strong word. It's, it, it's, it's a meaningful word, but it has all sorts of baggage on it, doesn't it? People hear the word repent and they're like, oh no, I know where this is going. You know, feel guilty about all the bad things I've ever done in my life and make a resolution never to do them again and... Next week I'll do them again anyway. All right, so they're worried. Do you hear the word repent? And, oh, no. In Greek, metanaeo. Meta, after. Naeo, to think. They went out and proclaimed that everybody should begin to think again. Begin to have an afterthought, we might even say. Begin to rethink what's going on. Begin to rethink what God is doing in the world. 
You know, when you see all sorts of corruption and greed, anger and hatred and violence and destruction, and begin to think that God is somehow out of control, that's when it's time to repent. Not feel guilty. Not uh, make resolutions. But begin to change your thinking. Begin to rethink what God is doing in the world. Have an afterthought. Back when I was a university professor, I thought that was my main job. You know, to teach people how to think. How to rethink. How to change their minds. Now as a full-time priest, I still have to do the same thing. Only it's much more subtle and subversive. (laughs) It's still there. That we have to rethink. We have to change our minds. That's the whole message of Mark's Gospel. It's the whole message that the people went out to preach. It was the message that Jesus brought to his synagogue. That God is bigger than your problems. That God is bigger than what you think is going on in the world. That he's not out of control. People who thought they were incurable were cured. People who thought they were stalked by demons and couldn't get away were set free. People who thought you couldn't go out and do ministry in the world without food and money and protection found out that God can provide even when you think there's no other way. What Mark is trying to say to us is that in a world that seems to be controlled by power and greed and corruption and injustice and cruelty and hatred and evil, that God is breaking into this world. He broke into this world in the person of Jesus and He wants us to change our minds about what He's capable of doing. That He's capable of bringing healing. That He's capable of setting us free. And if only we would have eyes of faith, we could see this. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.